0: You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. Today's teaching text is Ephesians 4 7 through 13. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. But what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe.
1: Hey everyone, my name is Ryan Diaz and I'm one of the pastors here at Oaks Church, Brooklyn. This past Sunday I had the pleasure to continue our teaching series through Ephesians 4, but we had a bit of a hiccup as we were recording the message this Sunday. And so we're going to re-record it now for you so that those of you who weren't with us Sunday can hear the teaching and we can continue on this journey through Ephesians 4 together. See you next Sunday. Today we're going to continue our series on Ephesians 4. Last week, Patrick introduced to us this call to unity, this idea that Christ himself is working out his unity amongst us as a people, that we are called to be united people, bonded together, knit together, fashioned together as one people. As we follow Paul's argument, his his logic, his rhetoric, we're going to continue to unpack what it means to be a united people. And, and this week, we're going to move from what unity is to how unity is accomplished. But before we do that, I want to make a quick point on unity versus uniformity. See, it's easy to get the two confused because they seemingly accomplish the same result. But uniformity is far more insidious. See, uniformity seeks to make people the same. It's like going back to school shopping. If you went to a school and that and you had uniforms, right? The, the goal of the uniform is to make everyone the same and seemingly unite um, unite them by getting away of any noticeable difference in dress. But uniformity is quite different from unity. While uniformity seeks to make us the same, unity strives to make us one. Unity doesn't do away with difference. In fact, unity depends on difference. Uniformity does away with difference because it's it, the difference itself stands in opposition to the uniformity, to everything being the same. But unity actually depends on difference because it only accomplishes its purpose when it makes a disparate thing whole. Unity works As things that are seemingly different are knitted into a whole. This unity we're talking about is first modeled in God himself. As Christians, we believe in a triune God, three persons yet one. This is best stated in the Athanasian Creed where it says that we worship one God in Trinity, in Trinity in unity neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is all one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal, such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit, the Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, the Holy Spirit uncreated. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, the Holy Spirit eternal. And yet there are not three eternals, but one. In God himself is a unity of persons. Three persons, but one Godhead. There's this difference that is not in competition or in conflict with one another, but that works to make a unified whole. One God who is three in one. And it's this very unity that we are being invited into as the people of God. We are invited into God's Trinitarian unity. We are being invited into God's oneness. But how do we become this people? What does it look like for a disparate people to be made whole? Well, to start there, we have to first look at the singular work of Christ in salvation. In Ephesians 4, Paul puts his, puts our eyes on Jesus and he, and he gives us this image that's rooted in Psalm 68, 18. Psalm 68, 18 is a psalm about a victorious king returning to Jerusalem. Here, Paul uses the psalm to talk about Christ's incarnation, his death, resurrection, and ascension. Like the victorious king, Christ's Incarnates, he he joins the human existence and in doing so conquers death defeats captivity makes a mockery of sin through his death and his resurrection and now that he has defeated death now that he has defeated sin he now ascends into his glory and upon his ascension he gives gifts to his people the gift of salvation the gift of his unity working itself out among his people The incarnate Christ is also the cosmic Christ, entering into human existence that he might fill all things. And as he fills all things, part of that filling is the giving of gifts to his people so they too might experience his victory, his conquering over sin, death, destruction, and decay. And it's through this variety of gifts he gives to his people that Christ begins to work out his unity among them. These gifts that are given by Christ are are not cookie cutter. They're not single. There's not one gift he's giving to everybody. This is not the invitation to become like everyone else, to look like everyone else, to sound like everyone else. No, to each member of his body, Christ gives distinct gifts that mirror the distinct image of God present in each of them. It's this amazing thing that we all share in the image of God and yet we are each distinct, made in his image and his likeness, reflecting it in a way only we could reflect it. And so Christ's gifts follows this diversity. It's through these diversity of gifts that God gives to his people that he wants to work out his unity. The diversity of the church is actually the key to the unity of the church. So Paul goes on in Ephesians 4 to describe these gifts. And so some of these gifts are named and some of these gifts go unnamed. But I want to emphasize something here. The named gifts are not more important than the unnamed gifts. What Paul is actually doing here, he's actually showing how these gifts work themselves out within a community. And there's some gifts he has to name to demonstrate how this works out. But it does not make those unnamed gifts less than. Actually, I'd like to argue that those are actually the more important gifts, as we'll see in a moment. So, first, Paul, he he names the apostles and the prophets. See, if we go back to the Old Testament, the prophets were the ones who proclaimed the gospel in seed. They're the ones who foretold about the coming of Christ, the the victorious Messiah who would conquer sin and death by dying a criminal's death. And the apostles are the ones who saw the prophets of the words revealed in the person of Jesus. To them belongs what we call the deposit of faith, the sum total of our belief. And it's to them Christ charged the apostles to, to proclaim this belief and bring it into the world, to hold it, to keep it, to maintain it, to protect it. The gift of Christ is the gift of the proclamation of the gospel, the announcement of his rule and reign. And it was on the apostles to guard that message, to preserve it, to keep it pure. So that they could then pass it on down to others. Next, Paul messaged the evangelists. It's the evangelist who who takes the word of the apostle, the the good news of the gospels, and brings it out into the world for people to hear. The evangelist goes into places where the good news of the gospel does not exist and brings it to bear, announcing Jesus' rule and reign to those who still live in darkness. But as the evangelist preaches the gospel, his work isn't done. Communities begin to form around this good news. They they begin to gather around this message of the gospel. And as they gather, they realize they need forming and shaping of communities. They, They need people who are going to help them walk out their faith with fear and trembling. They're going to need guides, stewards, who are going to help them live out their faith in the world. And to those Christ's gifts to the body of Christ pastors and teachers. Those called by God to steward the people of God as they live out their lives in the world. But all those gifts I just mentioned are not ends in and of themselves. This is not the A team of Christianity and everyone else gets the scraps. No, no, no. Actually, I would argue that this is the B team. And the B-teams like the coaching staff, they exist not, not for themselves, they exist to equip and empower those who will go out into the world and live out the reality of the kingdom. And it's this multiplicity of gifts that is represented here in this body, that the seed of faith given to the apostles and prophets works out its reality in you. God has given each of you gifts, spiritual gifts for the flourishing of this body. And it's the job of pastors and teachers to, to steward that gift, to, 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 to empower you to live out the calling Christ has drawn you to. The work of ministry is that service which God has uniquely called us to, for which without the church would not be the same that each of us is called by God to dispense our own gifts he's given us to the body for its flourishing. And here Paul goes on to make the argument that a united body is a mature body. See, the gifts God has given each of us, the spiritual gifts we each possess, don't exist for themselves. They don't exist purely for us. They exist so that this body might find its maturity And thus, it's unity. Here, Paul uses the image of a man coming into his maturity. And now, it's tempting here to overlook what Paul's trying to say. To say, how can Paul relate maturity to manhood? Is he reinforcing patriarchy? What's going on here? And I think, just as a word of note, that whenever the Bible gets weird, whenever it, it, it rubs us the wrong way, whenever it pushes up against our modern notions... It's actually more important to lean in, to try to truly hear what this author is saying, because what Paul isn't saying here, that maturity is somehow related to manliness. That maturity is somehow the sole gift of men. He's actually using this as an image. See, for Paul, maturity is not to look like a man or to to act like a man. But in Paul's mind, there is one man we are all becoming, the risen exalted Christ. And so when Paul talks about the coming into the fullness of maturity, the the maturity of manhood that the body must attain, he's actually saying every corporate body of believers must in turn reflect the glorified risen Christ. Throughout his letters, Paul refers to the church as the body of Christ. Together, the church is the physical representation of the exalted Christ. The one who is sitting at the right hand of the Father and reigns as Lord of all. As Just as Christ became incarnate and became man, became flesh, was the God-man, 100% human, 100% man, bound together in this whole so too the body of Christ becomes another incarnate Christ, ministering to the world as the physical representation of God, here and now, the people of God, the hands and feet of Jesus. And so it's only until we look like this does Paul say that we've achieved maturity. And it's only until we achieve this maturity that we achieve unity. F.F. F. Bruce, the scholar and theologian, says this, The corporate body of Christ cannot be content to fall short of the perfection of the personal Christ. In other words, our spiritual maturity, our growth, our coming together as a body is only finds its perfection as we look like the personal Christ. But none of us can do this on our own. There is this mutual dependence we have on one another, for this maturity, and thus our unity. John Calvin, the Reformation theologian, says this, No member of the body of Christ is endowed with such perfection as to be whole without the assistance of others. Calvin, alongside Paul, make the potent point that the unity of the body is dependent on its different members working together to build it up. As each person, with their unique gifts given by God, works out their faith within the community, the body is strengthened. And that strengthening finds itself manifested in its maturity, its ability to look, sound, act, think like the risen Christ. And as we begin to look like this risen Christ, it is then we find the unity that Christ calls us to walk into. This is further reinforced by the qualities Paul associates with maturity. The unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. The unity of faith is not simply our shared beliefs, the the shared deposit of our doctrine. No, it's actually the faith of Christ himself, the pistis Christu, the the faith of Christ. What unites us as a body is Christ's own faith. Without Christ and his faith and righteousness at the center of this corporate body, we cease to be the body of Christ. We, are, we might be a religious group, we might advocate for good work, we might have a building, and we might have membership, and we might do events and activities together, but we will not be the corporate body without the uniting faith of Christ at the center of who we are. But just as the uniting faith of Christ brings us together, he also brings us together as individuals, that in joining the body of Christ we do not lose our individuality, but we become an interdependent whole. And this is what Paul means by the knowledge of the Son of God. The knowledge of the Son of God is that personal, experiential knowledge that Paul knew so well. And that each of us brings our experiences with the risen Christ to the community. And as we each relate to Christ as individuals, we relate to him as a whole that the unity of faith binds us together but it's through our diverse experience of the risen christ that we are mutually benefited by one another and so the question goes on well if god has given us gifts for the maturity of the body and the maturity of the body is what brings about the unity of the body what am i supposed to do for this body You know, we're in an interesting time as a church. There's pandemic, transition. And now I think after, you know, I've been a part of this community for a year now. And I think we're beginning to find our own. We're coming into a new season. That God is doing new things. And it doesn't mean the old things don't have their place. But that God is working something out new and fresh here in this community. And so in this season, if we want to become this united people of God in this new season, if we want to be that mature body that reflects the reality of the risen Savior, then we move from the corporate to the individual. What is God calling me to do in this community? What gifts has he given me, not simply for the benefit of myself, but so that this body might find its maturity In its unity. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says this For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. He goes on to say, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Paul's point is this, that each member of this body, this gathered community here in Brooklyn, that each of you matter, and your gifts matter. It is our distinctiveness, our unique giftings, stories, perspectives that make us a value to this body. Without our presence, without our stories, this body isn't whole. Without you, we aren't Oaks Church Brooklyn. We cannot be united without you. Without your gifts at work in this body, we will never look like Christ. Now, I want to caveat this because i know we live in new york city and the reality is some of you will be in this community for five six seven eight nine years some of you will be in this community for one year and both are equally beautiful and have their place we want to be a sending and receiving community like a port city that that receives that receives new faces every day but also knows how to say goodbye well that is our reality so what i don't want you to hear is that if next week god calls you to move and and you have to go to a new destination that you're somehow letting us down but for the time you're here however long that time is god has ordained you to be here for this time you're not here by accident that by god's providence he he has he has orchestrated events so that you might be in this body for this season and however long that season is the question remains how will your gifts contribute to the maturity of this body and thus its unity. This body isn't the privilege of the few, but the gift of the many. If God has called you to be a part of this body, your attendance isn't enough. We need all of you. Your gifts, your insights, your cultures, your stories, everything, all of it. Only then when we fully give ourselves to one another, when our gifts are at work with one another. We will find the measure of Christ at work in this body. You know, I have a friend named Jonathan Johnson. And um, he's a friend from an old church I used to go to. And every week, almost every week, Jonathan calls me to pray. Now, sometimes I pick up. (laughs) Sometimes he calls me when I'm busy and I miss it. But this is a man who's gifted as someone of prayer, as an encourager. And he has committed... To strengthening the body through his prayer, his intercession, and through his encouraging spirit. And in the moments I've been at my lowest, Jonathan has gotten on the phone and said, Hey Ryan, I love talking to my favorite people in the world. How are you doing? How can I pray for you? Don't forget God's hands on your life. He doesn't run a program. He doesn't have a title. But his gifts are at work. And I have benefited from his gifts. Each of you has something to contribute to this body. What we're not talking about is like a volunteer culture. Even though volunteers are great, our kids' ministry needs them. I know we could use a few more people on the worship team. But that would be a limited view of this picture to simply say, hey, God's gifted all of you, so what are you going to do practically on Sundays? That's not what we're talking about here. God has given us each spiritual gifts. Gifts that are granted by His Spirit. Not simply your abilities or your talents, but spiritual gifts. Gifts of discernment and encouragement. Gifts of foresight and knowledge. Gifts of prophecy. That without them, this body cannot achieve the unity it so seeks. And so, if we can't be that mature Christ without your gifts at work in this body... The question remains, what are your gifts? And if there's gifts, what is the thing Christ is putting in front of you here in this body that he's calling you to put your hand to? What does he want to birth in you for this body so that we can become the people of God Christ is calling us to be? There's a few tools I want to give you and then I want to pray for us. First, there's something on our on our Goodway website, goodway.live, um, called a spiritual gift assessment. And this is a a self given assessment that can give begin to give you language for some of the giftings that you may have that God has given you. They're not a end, it's not an end all be all. Um, I wouldn't even say the exult, the results are hundred percent accurate because any self administered test has some bias, right? But it is a way to begin to think about, how has God gifted me? And then what does that look like in the context of this community? And so I don't offer you, go to thegoodway.live, go to the section on maturity, and find that spiritual gift assessment and take it for yourself. And begin to discern, God, like how have you gifted me for this body? Another thing I want to mention is that, okay, let's say you know what your giftings are. You know how the Holy Spirit has gifted you. The question is, how will that be outworked in this body? What does that look like practically? What, what is the vocation or calling Christ is calling me to in this particular body? Maybe you, you've you been to church before and like, you know what it's looked like in a past season. But now you're in this new body and you still have the same gifts, but like it's going to look different this time around. How do you begin to discern what Christ is calling you to. Well, Tim Keller talks about discerning calling like this. He says, first, there's an internal call. And this is the inward drawing of the heart to some specific work. Maybe as I was preaching, you began to say, okay, oh my God, here's how I can see how my gifts could be at work within this body. And so there's this internal call, this internal drawing of like, man, I know how I could use my gifts in this body. And then there's, the external call, the affirmation of the inward drawing by trusted voices, that as you exist in this community and get to know people and begin to have relationship with one another, that people begin to see that same thing inside of you, that people begin to affirm that thing you're feeling inside of you. And then once you have like this internal call and this external call, then I have to say, God, like, do I have the capacity for this? And do I have the gifting and the, the ability to, 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 to outwork this task in this community? Do I possess the necessary gifts, graces, and ability to take up this task that God is seemingly drawing me to in the body? And if there is gifting calling alignment, the next question is opportunity. Is there opportunity in this body for this right now? Is it the opportune time? Or is this something God wants me to hold close to my heart? until the, such a time as this body needs this work. I, I want to acknowledge that this is not an easy thing to discern. It's daunting, especially in our culture that, in American Christian culture that can be so consumeristic, to, to all of a sudden, to, to come to the realization that this is going to cost more of me than I realize is a daunting thing. And to send you off to discern these things alone would be a disservice. In fact, it might even be discouraging to sit by yourself and try to figure out, God, how do you want to use me at Oaks Church Brooklyn? And this is where the invitation of community comes into play. You know, I wouldn't be here preaching without community. If you know me, I'm not a vulnerable person. I play my cards close to my chest. But I'll be vulnerable here for a moment. I never wanted to do this for a living. And that might be a cliche, but for me it was true. I never wanted to do this work. I saw what ministry could do to a family. I saw a family sacrificed on the altar of ministry. I didn't want to do this work. But even as I tried to run from it, God would send people into my life—trusted people I loved, who cared about, who I knew cared about me outside of the work I could do—and they would continually to af- begin to continue to affirm a calling to ministry, a calling to teach the word of God. And I hated them for it. I was upset at them for it. I ran from it. But without their voices, in those moments when I, to this day, I'll be very honest. To this day, there's moments I don't want to do this work. There's moments where I'm like, am I still good at this? Am I is this still for me? In those moments, God sends people alongside me to encourage me and to remind me of calling. And so as we as a body discern what our gifts are, and how could those gifts benefit the building up of this body? Not the building up of this organization, not the building up of our programs but the building up that this body might look like the risen Christ. I want to invite you to do that in the context of community. Come find one of us. Come find one of the pastors or elders. Talk to your community group leader. Get with your friends and begin to pray together. Say, God, like, what are you trying to do in me for this community? And I truly believe that if we all pursue this Together, if we all say, God, what is my gift? How might I benefit this body? We will become a beacon of the kingdom in the middle of this neighborhood. For we will be mature, thus looking like Christ. And if we look like Christ, we will surely be united.